0: You made it. Yay! Yay! Praise God. I thought I was going to be preaching to Phil this morning. Yeah. <laughs> and does he need preaching too? Yeah. Yes. I don't know what sort of week you've had, but can I suggest that that last song maybe is what some of us need to hear? Um, that There is a beautiful name of Jesus that, and there is no rival. His name is above every other name. Hallelujah. <sighs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's great to see you here. Uh, thanks for getting here. I know uh, a lot of you came on sleds and uh, with dogs and things like that. So it's lovely to, uh, to have you with us. Uh, I don't know what happens to Vancouver in the snow, but someone sent me, Andre sent me this uh, uh, this morning. Nobody in Vancouver knows how to drive in the snow, except me, except me, except me, except me. Yes, so, uh, but thank you, praise God that you got here safely. Those who didn't get here safely, uh, or those who didn't try to get here, (laughs) (laughs) will hopefully be listening uh, to the podcast of this, so uh, you're missing a great day. Um, we, uh, <laughs> we're going to have a lot of fun today. I know there's only a few of us and it's snowy outside and it's cold outside, but I, we've got some gems of stuff that God wants to speak to us about today. So, uh, buckle up. We have lots of new things this morning a new, new snow, new year, a new sermon series and a new word for 2020, which we looked at last week, Freedom. And last week we introduced this word with much fanfare, tons of anticipation and lots of impromptu dancing, heaven forbid dancing at City View. This is the year that we as a community and as individuals want to, as Freddie Mercury once said, break free. Free from the things that stop us from moving forward in our faith. Free to do the things we're called to do. Free to be the people that we're born to be. And we saw last week where that freedom can be found. Not in a president, not in a country, not in a political system, not in money, not in ambition. It's not found in bettering our situation or our circumstances It's found and only found in having faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Freedom, true freedom, freedom in all of its aspects comes not from anything we can do, but solely from what Jesus has already done. And this is our verse, if you like, for 2020 in in Galatians 5. This is the version of the message, and I really, really like this. Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. By living and dying and raising again, Christ has set us free. So believe in him. Trust in him. We also discovered last week that in order to experience the fullness of this freedom, we must surrender, surrender more and more to Jesus through the moving of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to become charismatic, if you will, not in the swinging from the chandelier type of charismatic, but if that floats your boat, so be it. But the true meaning of the word charisma charisma the Greek in the original Greek means a special gift of grace. So we need to receive more and more of this gift of grace through the working and the moving of the Holy Spirit day by day living by the spirit walking by the spirit we are going to be a charismatic church in 2020. Paul reminds us, he says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom as we open up more and more to the Holy Spirit. And also last week, we began to think and dream about what freedom might look like in our lives. Not just physical freedom, but emotional freedom, spiritual freedom. So we looked at being free from pain, free from addictions, free from unhealthy lifestyles, free from loneliness, free from guilt and shame, free from expectations of others, free to love others unconditionally, free from the need for approval from others, free from anxiety, free from despair, free from fear, free to experience peace and contentment. Does that sound good? If this was a Pentecostal charismatic church, there would be hallelujahs and amens coming from all corners by now. Freedom. That's the new word for the new year. But what about the new sermon series? Well, we're going to go deep into an Old Testament book that contains perhaps one of the most well-known stories, and yet I would suggest... One of the most misunderstood stories in the whole of Scripture. It's an adventure story. It's a thriller. That has been made into many Hollywood movies. But mainly, it's a story about God and His faithfulness and His power and His compassion. It's a story about a people trapped in slavery trapped in despair, and ultimately through the grace of God, it's a story about their journey to freedom. It's the book of Exodus, Exodus. Now some of you might be thinking, you know what, that's great Trevor, but how on earth does that ancient story have any relevance to us breaking free in in 2020? Maybe you're looking at all that's going on in the world right now. Maybe you're looking at all that's going on in your life right now. Maybe in your relationships, in your, what's going on at work, what's going on in your families, and you're like, why in the world are we doing Exodus? Surely we should be doing a series on, I don't know, anxiety, or how to overcome fear, or doubt. Well, here's what I want to say to you. Exodus is going to help us to get underneath all of that. This book is going to speak into those issues that we face by giving us a view of God that can transcend those things. A new perspective on our God who can break the chains of of bondage and set us free. There's another I'm in there somewhere. So here's what I want to do this morning, okay? Um, I want to first give you a brief introduction to the book of Exodus and put it into a biblical context. Then we're going to summarize the first two chapters, which basically sets up the whole book. And I'm going to leave you with ultimately why this book is so relevant to us today. Okay, are you with me? Are you excited? Yes. Yes. Okay. Ready? Steady? You go. Okay. All right. You might want to turn with me to the book of Exodus uh, because I'm going to need you to follow along with me this morning because I'm going to be jumping around. So find find the book of Exodus. Exodus is the second book of what's called the Pentateuch. Say Pentateuch with me. (laughs) There's always one. Oh, there's two, yeah. Pentateuch. Yes, you sound like learned scholars now, don't you? Try to drop that word into a conversation this week. I'm afraid I've got a touch of the Pentateuch's coming on. Pentateuch. What does that mean? It literally means book of five. And Exodus is the second of those five books. Uh, The others being, as you can see there, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The literary genre of each of these books is an historical narrative. They're telling a story, a story of actual events over a particular time in history. So Exodus isn't a story unto itself. It's actually, it's a chapter of a bigger story. And they're meant to be read as one, the Pentateuch. It's like, I don't know, if you say, I'm only going to read the second book of the Harry Potter series. And then sort of thinking, yeah, you know what, I know it all now. I know the whole story because I've read the second book. No, you don't. You don't know what happens in the end. Because in the end, no, I won't swallow it. <coughs> Just in case you haven't read them. And it's the same with Exodus. The first word of Exodus in Hebrew is actually and or now, depending on which translation you use. But in the Hebrew, it says and or now, which means it follows on from Genesis, from what's going on in Genesis. It's a new chapter. Now, if you've never read Genesis, don't worry. It's still there. <laughs> but just for you, I'm going to put this book of Exodus into some biblical context by giving you a 60-second recap of Genesis. OK? Here it goes. Has Anyone got the clock going? Genesis begins with God creating the universe, everything He made from land to light, to vegetation, to animals he called good. Only when God created man and woman did he deem creation very good and complete. And so God had this special relationship with them. And Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden and had dominion over creation. But it didn't take, didn't take long for peace uh, to, um, to shatter Uh, And uh, sin entered the world and it changed everything and uh, we became separated from God and we became banished from paradise. Nothing would be the same. And so we went out into the world and as we multiplied, uh, we filled the earth and we corrupted it. God brought his judgment then upon the earth, wiping out everything by a flood except for Noah and his family and uh, a whole lot of animals. And uh, so he, uh, God started anew. He had a plan of redemption. And he would carry uh, this redemption uh, through families, generations past. Oh, and the father uh, of a future people, Abraham, was born. Abraham uh, settled in Haran where he received the promise from God. And the promise was this. God would make Abraham and his offspring into a great nation. And they would one day dwell in the promise Land. Abraham then moved his family to Canaan. Uh, Years passed. Abraham had a son. He had many sons, Father Abraham. And (laughs) one of them was Isaac. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. But the youngest, Joseph, was his favorite. Joseph's brothers, in their jealousy, sold Joseph into slavery. But the Lord gave Joseph favor with the Pharaoh of Egypt. And Joseph rose to power in the royal palace. And when famine ravaged the land of Canaan, Joseph's family came to Egypt seeking food and provisions and Joseph forgave his brothers. So the house of Jacob remained in Egypt and Joseph lived 110 years. But before he breathed his last, like me, Joseph reminded the people of God's promise to draw them out of Egypt into the promised land. That was more than 60 seconds. Sorry, I had to breathe. And that is where Exodus starts. Okay, we're going to dip into the first two chapters of Exodus, which basically, as I said, sets the scene for the action. And can I just say, this is the bit where we try to skip over, you know, because we want to get to the action. But no fast forward here this morning. And those of you who are listening online, no fast-forwarding, no uh, going on further in the sermon, because you're going to miss some important stuff. Okay, let's get this done. So, Joseph dies, it says in verse 6, and all his brothers and all that generation died. They all died off. And then it says in uh, verse 7, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. They kept having babies and babies and babies, and there was more of them and more of them. That's a good thing, yeah? No. Not if you're the king of Egypt. Look at verses 8 to 10. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. Here's what Pharaoh is doing. He's beginning to sow seeds of discontent amongst the people. He's beginning to create a narrative that the downfall of uh, the Egyptian empire is actually tied to those awful Hebrew people. That there's too many of them. And and if if they don't do something about them, they're going to take all our jobs. (laughs) And it's not going to be safe. Anymore, and all the things the Egyptians desire are going to be taken from us because of this migrant population. His mantra becomes Egypt first. Sound familiar? Don't tell me that this ancient book has no relevance to today. So in the back halls of the king's palace, there's all this political maneuvering going on to deal with the Hebrew problem. What did they do? Well, verse 11 tells us. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built uh, Pithom and uh, Ramirez as store cities for Pharaoh. And that worked. No, it didn't. Verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all of their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So what you have here is this Hebrew nation becoming a nation of slaves. Forced into harsh labor. They they lost their identity as a nation. They lost their ability to live comfortably. They lost their influence. They basically lost their freedom. And that's tough. But then the story takes an evil turn. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stall, if it's a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she can live. Then, He stirs up the masses. Look at this, verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you'll throw in the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Can I just say that there is crazy and there is crazy. This is a special kind of crazy. This is crazy, madman, dictator crazy. And unfortunately, we've seen too many of these down through the centuries. Genocide. Let's kill all the baby boys. Why the baby boys and not the little girls? Well, little girls can be used. Little girls can be trafficked. Little girls can be sold. Little girls can be used as sex slaves. To Pharaoh, little girls are of no real threat to the empire. We'll get to the irony of that in just a moment. But the plan is, kill the boys. Breed out the Hebrews via the daughters. That was the plan. And Pharaoh says to his people... Here's the new law in the land, okay? You see a Hebrew baby boy, you grab that boy and you throw him into the Nile River. And notice this, the conscience of Egypt is now so severed, their minds have been so polluted by the propaganda coming from the top that the nation doesn't bat an eyelid. And they re-elect him for another term. You see, what you have... Oh, sorry. I didn't want to get political. I'm so sorry. But you see, what we have here is a nation whose moral compass has been so severed that they're willing to grab infant boys and chuck them into the Nile River. It doesn't get much darker than that. You know, and here's the thing I want you to see this morning as we talk about the journey to freedom is that the journey to freedom often starts in the darkest of times. Some of us, I know, are experiencing dark times right now. Some of us have in the past. Some of us will in the future. Some of us here are seeking freedom from some sort of bondage in our lives. Some of us are looking to be set free from despair, from worry, from anxiety over an unknown future. And I don't need to tell you that being in that place is not pretty. It's not pleasant. It can be downright ugly and painful. But you need to know that the path to freedom almost always starts there. Just as it did for the Israelites in a dark place. Yet. 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 I love that word. Yet. That word is a word of hope. Yet. Let me show you where God is and what he was doing during this awful time. The ugly time. This time of slavery. He's right in the middle of it, working out his purposes, working out a path to freedom. I've got two things, just two things that I want you to take home this morning. Here's the first one. God is always working in the middle of despair. And he's often working behind the scenes. We'll read about what, what he does in a minute. But remember, it's not quick. These first couple of chapters of uh, of Exodus is happening over decades. But nevertheless, we see God working behind the scenes in secret. Now when I say in secret, what I mean is it's we don't see it. We know in our heads that God is active, but... It's hard for us as his children, as his followers, to to see what he's up to sometimes, isn't it? Charles Spurgeon, he's a famous 19th century English preacher. He has this quote, and I, I read it this week, and I thought, this is a doozy of a quote. I've got to share this with you. This is what he says. God is too good to be unkind, and he's too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. I love that. I love that. When you cannot trace his hand, you can still trust his heart, his character. How do we do that? We do it by looking at the When we're in the middle of suffering and pain and despair, we look at the cross and we see Jesus dying for our sin. That is objective evidence that He's for us, not against us. He's made a way for us, He's already given us freedom. We may not see it, we may not feel it, but ultimately we will have it because. Of what he did on the cross. Wherever you are now. Whatever you're experiencing right now. You will find freedom. Because of the cross. So does that mean when we suffer. We should walk around with a smile on our faces. And when people say how are you doing. And we say well I'm blessed brother. Praise his name. Because when we go through it, we're going to feel confused. We're going to feel despair. We're going to feel lonely. We're going to feel broken. But we should also have hope and trust that God is working behind the scenes. Okay, so how does God move here? Well, he summons a great army of angels and destroys the nation of Egypt. He calls out the biggest, meanest bunch of macho men to take on Egypt. He presses the nuke button. Now, he works through two midwives, three women, and a baby. And here's the second big take home from this morning. God reveals his path to freedom almost always in small ways by using the weak and the powerless. Isaiah 40, 29. Look at these verses. These are gold. Verses 15 through 21. Then the king of Egypt said to these Hebrew midwives, When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women, see them on the birth door. If it's a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? And let the male children live. And the midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. so God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong you know I've said before how uh, at this point in history how women are viewed just a step below cattle their word was not admissible in a court of law you could trade women you could almost always trade your daughter for a cattle or a weapon Women are seen in a very real way as subhuman in this culture. And you see this in Pharaoh's complete and utter dismissal of them. You know, kill the boys, but let the let the girls live. They won't cause us any trouble. Oh the irony of that. The most powerful nation on earth at that point in history falls and is destroyed and goes into the grave by the power of God working through five women, the two midwives, and as we'll see next week, Moses' mum, sister, and Pharaoh's own daughter. You know, I get sick and tired of the stereotypes of men and women especially in so-called conservative Christian circles. There's a bit of a rant coming, sorry. You know, Christian men, they're brave and they're courageous. And Christian women are compassionate and gentle and nurturing. Well, let me tell you, if I'm going into battle, give me those midwives over many of the fools that I know. If you want to know what bravery and courage is, then look at those midwives. This crazed dictator of a king has said to them, murder the babies, murder them. And these midwives know that by their act of defiance, more than likely, they've signed their own death warrant. Not just their own death, but maybe the death of family and friends. It's these women, they, we're told that they fear God more than they fear Pharaoh. They're just not afraid. And they, those two midwives, ultimately turn the whole of history. Now here's the thing. Freedom, your freedom often comes when the power of God moves in tiny, small things. The seemingly insignificant things, the seemingly insignificant people. You know, your word to someone, you visiting someone, you standing with someone can bring the first steps on the journey to freedom, however small and insignificant you think that might be, Arlene told me about her, something that happened yesterday at her community kitchen. Homeless guy came in without a coat, and uh, so somebody went back home, got a coat, gave it to him. Arlene cooked him lunch, and he sat and ate lunch. And before he left, Darlene said, I can't remember the guy's name now. He said, uh, you take it easy, and don't forget God loves you. And he looked up, and he had tears in his eyes, and he went. Small, tiny, insignificant thing, but God will use that. God will use that somehow and some way. I'm going to talk more about how God is working in the middle of bondage and despair next week when we look at Moses. But let me leave you with why our slavery, our bondage, our despair has relevance and a connection to what is happening in in this ancient text. Look at the last three verses in chapter 2. During those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel died because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God The people are crying out to God. The people are groaning. They're hurting. Ever done that? Ever cried out to God in your pain and suffering? Ever cried out to God for help? You know it's okay to do that. The reality is that people in this world People hurt because the world is broken. There are people all around the world crying out in pain because the world is broken. You know, I was thinking about this in the last few months. I don't know if it's a privilege, but I've seen this up close. People crying out because they've lost their dear wife suddenly. People crying out in pain because their daughter couldn't cope anymore and, and jumped off Lionsgate Bridge. Crying out in pain because their marriage has broken down. Crying out in pain because of a miscarriage. Crying out in pain because their illness is getting worse. You know, we have friends in our local Iranian community this week crying out in pain because the world is broken. The world is so broken that war or the threat of war could lead to a passenger plane being shot from the sky. That's how broken the world is. The reality is that people hurt. But here's the thing. For those of us who are crying out in pain and hurt and despair right now. We have a God who hears the cries of hurting people. God hears the cries of his people. He hears, he sees, he knows, and he remembers. You And I are never alone. Although at times it might feel like we are. It might feel that this will never end. It might feel as though no one cares. God hears. God sees. God knows. And God remembers. And he will always be faithful. He's working. Always working. Making a way for freedom. It's coming. Hanging. a couple of you just to pray during this time. I don't really know what